Hi everyone, um, Anthony DeMarze here. I'm um, one half of Light Cities and Architecture and with me is... Jackson Stigwood. And it's good to be back for our sixth episode where we're going to be focusing on... Well, we're going to be focusing on Alvar Alto, specifically his, his buildings um, uh, with an interest in his um, libraries and the way that he combines his love of natural lighting or daylighting with the way that he also incorporates um, electric lighting. I think it's fair to say that we, we wanted to venture into looking at a specific architect and a specific architect who uses daylighting um, probably better than many architects. And we kind of I wouldn't say we discovered Elvar Alto. I think we started with a view of looking at um, Le Corbusier and specifically the Ronchamp building. We were thinking about Louis Kahn. Uh, we were thinking of Tadeo Ando and the way that he uses light. But all roads seem to lead to Alvar Alto. And I, I don't think that that is um, a, a coincidence. Um, his use of artificial light, or sorry, um, daylighting and electric lighting is, is, is quite astounding. And I think specifically in his um, library buildings, they have, a, a, I would say, a quasi-religious uh, impact, although they're not religious buildings. They really have a, a really strong sense of how um, an architect, a modernist architect, could use daylighting really, really well. And I think the interesting thing about um, Alvar Alto is that, you know, when he emerged as, a, as an architect was not so long after uh, electric lighting uh, came to the fore and that luminaire design really became uh, an important aspect of architecture and industrial design. Yeah, definitely. It was, a, it was an area of um, experimentation because you had uh, new lamp technologies. So we're talking you know the 1920s um sort of when incandescent was sort of being um developed so you had different different sort of um, sizes of lamps and different um i suppose form factors that they were um utilizing and it's interesting reading into some of the early works and that the issue that people were complaining about was that the incandescent form this new new light form was was extremely bright and glary um, and that that was that was the common complaint from um, I suppose people within spaces and it's 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 interesting because now we see it as, as quite a um, sort of comfortable light form that's direct when it's directly viewed and we see that LED is something that's much more glary and intense it's hard to imagine right now but the um, the first lights that appeared were considered glary <laughs> they were um, they were, you know, it would have been quite a shock to the system at in the middle of the night or at night or in, in to suddenly be confronted by a luminaire that was uh, spewing out light, shall we say, or uh, radiating light. Um, the eye would have been fixated by it and, and glare uh, in those early days would have been a, 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 an issue. So the idea of how you conceal the light source was a really important fact factor in, in, in the early luminaire design. And Alvar Alto, from what I can understand, now Alvar Alto's has had a very long career. He was born in the late nineteenth century and his you know career spanned, you know, a long period of time. 
um, he was really right there at the at the beginning of the 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 birth of um, electric lighting. So I find it fascinating that he was he was not one to conceal um, his love of artificial lighting or electric lighting and luminaire design. In fact, he was right there um, looking at the way in which you conceal the 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 source light and and how the luminaire design could make um, the light source much more comfortable for people. Mm. So you sort of see this sort of um, development around that era, the sort of late 1920s, where um, concealing the light source itself in a fitting and using this concept of indirect lighting sort of came about, um, which was really developed from, from it seems like, um, trying to conceal the... Um, filament lamp and so you see all these sort of uh, early designs the ph design which was 1920s by um henningston i think his name was paul or paul um is there is there really a way that the lamp source is concealed within a light source and then you have all these other layers outside of it which indirectly push light into the space so the specific light that you're talking about is the PH5 light. Is that is that correct? Um, I think it's the PH series. Okay. Or PH lamp, which was actually yeah mid 1920s. Now those lights are characterised by um, a series of rota- uh, cylindrical or circular discs that overlap each other, and and essentially they they cr- kind of create these layers of light from the light source, and one of the distinctive features that I find about that particular light is that the, the, the luminaire actually almost seems to float. It, it, the light quality out of the actual light is really beautiful and you get these kind of layered effects of mm. lights out of it. I actually have one in my office and um, uh, it, it really is a source of great delight. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that it has sort of a direct illumination which sort of, well, sorry, no, indirect element that pushes downwards. And then also has a indirect component which pushes upwards. So um, that's right. So the whole source of light becomes a very much more graduated um, light source. It's not a, a, a bright point source of light. It's actually a series of light surfaces that combine together to create a light source. Mm. All based around like the perspective that it's viewed from. So sort of that you know horizontal and below. Um, so it conceals it from your eye, but if you know you're above or below it directly, then you know th- that's where the majority of the light distribution is actually pushed. So my understanding is that Alvar Alto was right there when these lights were being developed. He was really interested in the in, in the um, in the in, in the industrial design of mm. those particular lights and the idea of these um, concentric uh, planes, if you like, around a light source. Uh, was uh, something that I think he found quite quite interesting. So how does that translate to Alvar Aalto's architecture um, is, I think, something that I find quite interesting. But Aalto is a, is a much-loved architect. He's a, he's a modernist architect. He was there right at the beginning of... Wasn't you know, always a modernist, though. Wasn't always a modernist, <laughs> but like all good architects, they... Went with the flow. Moved um, from classicism. Um, he was a classicist in the beginning, but uh, he's 
Now he he is a Finnish architect. Uh, he has he came from a, um, an interesting an interesting place. I think Finland is you know where uh, the idea of nature and of the the, the sort of the sky, the, the way that daylight works actually in that whole northern hemisphere or that very high altitude, I think is something that's really interesting in his work. And, you know, if you look at the, the breadth of his work, he's, he has a, a really strong sense that the architecture and the connection to nature, the connection to, to daylight, the connection to industrial design is really, really strong. Um, his work is incredibly poetic and incredibly functionalist. Unlike many other modernist architects, I think he's almost a very palatable version of modern architecture. So he's, uh, you know, a very, uh, I guess, much loved architect of the modernist uh, of the modernist movement. Unlike, say, others where. I guess you could argue that the architecture is much more sterile, much more rational, much less, much more unforgiving. Mm. Well, I suppose, yeah, if the feature that sort of started to define his work was the use of repetitive skylights Mm. in a a modernistic manner in terms of repetition across the surface. Um, I think one of the things that's really important to talk about is the, the way that architects use daylight in their buildings I mean if you think about churches cathedrals and and you know religious buildings daylight is used as a way of kind of elevating or, or creating that sort of myst- mystique or mysteriousness in within the building um, so there's a kind of you know if you think about a you know a cathedral where you've got stained glass and that light pouring in it's about creating a connection to an otherworldliness what you find i think that i find really interesting about alvar alto's work is that he uses daylight particularly in his um, library buildings as a way of creating ambient luminescence you know just basically light for the sake of reading um, and then he uses artificial light or electric lighting to to really enhance the lighting um, at at that sort of task level, mm. or to draw your eye within the space as well. He, he, he sees he sees lighting as really a, a practical um, thing to be solved. I mean, he's he did um, many num- many libraries through the course of his career, and his first. Um, library was in um, the Vipery, uh, I hope I said that right, library in Viborg, um, which was really the, was the first library, one of the first libraries he designed and built. But he, he did a whole series of libraries through the course of his career. But the interesting thing is that you can actually see in any one of his libraries uh, a, a kind of progression of ideas from what he did in that very first library. Mm. And that, creating that sort of yeah, homogenous sort of indirect glow within the spaces which was really derived by the functional requirements of the spaces as you said before like when you get direct light 
and reading it, it causes high contrast and therefore it's not great for a reader. So, you know, the ideal conditions for someone reading a book is to have, you know, an, a diffuse light source within the space. And secondly, that you know, direct light also um, degrades books and things. And when he was working in museums and things like this as well, it's like he always used indirect as, as a way of filtering the light so you didn't get um, heat and direct light onto um, sources that may deteriorate over time. Uh, one of the things that you find in researching Alto is that he uses two techniques in pretty much all his libraries. The first was this in terms of daylighting. The first is this idea of this conical skylight. So if you can imagine a, a, a cone and the top of the, the skylight is a piece of glass and below it is a, uh, a round cutout in the ceiling level. It was specifically designed so that no direct light could actually fall into the space below. But he, in a sense, creates a skylight that creates what he would term a, almost like a mini sun. Hmm. So the light created this um, diffuse effect on the space that he's creating below, but you don't get any direct light, direct sunlight falling into the main space below. And one of the things that he does in the in the Viborg uh, library is that he uses many of these lights. So he creates this kind of ambient light source within the space that's um, lit naturally. Mm. Um, and I think it's an amazing effect. So you have a whole series of circular skylights above you creating what is, in a sense, the ambient luminescence that we require. So if you think about the problem of a library is that you've got a fairly large space that needs to be lit. So daylight is the obvious um, source, of day, source of light that we, we, you know, any architect would turn to. Indeed, and um, it, it, when you look at images of this, of this library itself, it does seem quite modern in its appearance because you have this replication of a form across the ceiling in a consistent pattern, and you also have this homogenous lighting effect within it. So, um, yeah, it almost looks like a, a trendy office space or something. <laughs> well, it was built in, um, you know, it was, it was built incredibly early. It was um, designed, you know, built from 1927 to 1935, a very rational building mm. um, but he uses the effects of daylighting the the daylight design of the building is is absolutely stunning mm. it's as though i think with alto's work he creates internally and i think you do need to look at his work as interior architecture i mean certainly the exterior is as good as any architect but his interior um, focus i think is quite stunning he, he, in effect, creates an almost a, an internal landscape of light from above in the way that he uses daylight to come into the space. And at the sort of ground plane or the, you know, the main, you know, the plane that you navigate your way around, he creates a series of different levels, different reading areas, staircases and administrative areas that almost resemble a kind of um, a kind of rocky outgrowth if you like so you have this contrast between the level above you where the, the light is coming in and changing due to the effects of daylight and at the lower level you get this much more solid much more timber 
you know, steps and uh, reading areas that kind of create these little zones, if you like. Mm. And you sort of start to see him build up this relationship between sort of different hierarchies of light. So, yeah, you have the, the sort of ambient um, light source that is, is predominantly daylight from above. And um, then he starts to ingrain sort of luminaires in which he, he all de- designed for their function throughout the space as well. So the incorporation of like a, a more of a linear light fitting uh, along the top of the shelving units that throws light back onto the shelving units, which is something that's, you know, still used today as a, as a good way to light. I think um, one of the, the one of the things that I enjoy most about his work is that he actually celebrates the light fitting. There, mm-hmm. I don't think there are many modernist architects who do quite what he does. No, and essentially the skylight is 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 a luminaire itself as well. I, I couldn't. He's, I agree with you completely. He mm. almost treats the daylight as the way that he brings daylight into the space as a form of luminaire. Mm. It's just another light source for him that's available during the daytime and that he can manipulate within his space and it's they're they're quite easy they're quite simple manipulations when you actually look into it like i mean fitting this structure into your ceiling and and feeling in all the actual yeah the support structure of the ceiling as well is obviously you know a difficult thing to do but when you look at the the form of it the the first ones were, were simply you know a cylinder a cylinder that didn't allow any light to pass through it directly for more than 58 degrees because that was the the maximum angle in in the the environment that he was designing. So you can imagine a luminaire designer um, using similar techniques with their lighting. They essentially wanted to eliminate direct light, the direct light source, and with Alvar Aalto's um, conical light skylight, he's effectively doing the same thing. He's creating a diffuse light in the space below. One of the advantages that he has with using daylight is that you create this sort of ambient luminescence. You create this sense of of background glow. And libraries are fairly big spaces, so it's what would his alternative have been if there was not daylight? I mean, it's something that, you know, libraries and any large building really relies upon to give that that sort of ambient luminescence within the space. Mm. And, yeah, this all sort of... It seems it stems from his understanding earlier of the pH development in using indirect lighting. Um, and then you sort of see him, uh, his, his, his own luminaires sort of go along this development as well. And they all become very indirect. Um, but then you start to see some changes and you start to see him, I suppose, test these principles on a larger scale. So you start to see these indirect skylights which aren't circular um which which is similar to sort of i suppose a a very large version a linear version of a ph um in that it starts to bounce light into these spaces through these these um, much more different well what starts to happen so from from his earliest library it's a very rational building it's a very modernist building he relies very heavily on the the conical skylight which he uses throughout his career essentially his um the way that he uses daylight in his buildings is essentially through two or three different techniques one is the, the the conical 
skylight that we mentioned. The other is a, a, a kind of horizontal band of light that um, he, he, he uses as sort of a, a kind of a fan-shaped plan that, you know, kind of replicates a, a, a sort of a, a, an organic growth out into the landscape. Um, but he uses that sort of um, long linear light source and then bounces it off the interior surfaces to really good effect. You know, that, that idea that he creates um, bounce light within the space, I think, is really powerful. So you get a sense of, you get a version of what it's like to be outside, but in that internal environment. And I, I find this really quite fascinating is that he's almost creating a landscape inside the building. Mm, you know, like the, the form he's factor. creating a replica of outside, shall we say. Mm. And, and, and this is sort of all at the, the junction between the wall and the ceiling line. So lifting up either the, the ceiling or the roof structure and then manipulating the form of the actual ceiling itself. Yes, and, 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 and his ability to kind of play with the plan. So unlike other modernist architects of, you know, who, who work through the, the whole of the 20th century, his ability to sort of manipulate the plan to be much more organic or to still have system to it or structure to it, <coughs> excuse me, but to allow it to actually become an almost organic, uh, not free form, but still very structured, but still have that kind of sense that it belongs in nature, I think is very is very powerful. So that, that linear light source bouncing off internal surfaces down to that sort of lower area where there's a lot of timber and changes in levels becomes a very interesting way of creating architecture, interior architecture. Mm. Yeah, I suppose it's another thing we should talk about is his use of um, texture and color and surface as well. Like um, not only creating a luminaire or allowing light to enter into a space, but also um, deliberately choosing materialities um, that support the reflection of light. Do you think that uh, Alto's use of artificial or uh, daylighting is is a kind of form of artificial lighting. How, how do you view the, the uh, way I mean, that he uses? It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, if it's a lot of conversations that I have now is that when we're looking to sustainably generate energy for electric light sources, then um, once that process becomes like really efficient and that we can harvest the sun's energy, store it, and then when we need it we can produce electric light sources but it's it's from the sun it's like well we sort of is there a point there in which that conversion becomes so efficient that we sort of say okay well let's just stop using the word artificial it's more just you know everything's a light source but that's what i think is really interesting in his later work or as he develops more is that it it really didn't i don't think mattered to him like he starts to combine mm -hmm. both and use he starts to put electric light sources within his skylights mm. that you know when when the sun's not there he can ramp up the light source itself and you still get this ambient glow from the from the skylight itself so yeah it's 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 a really beautiful conversation because yeah his later work 
definitely i don't think there's any judgment between both sources there it's just i, I couldn't agree with you more i think there is a real sense that the you know alto understood lighting from both uh, electric light sources and from uh, the sun i mean there is this kind of view that you know light from the sun is this kind of free light source that nothing could be further from the truth because uh, two things you need to do with um, daylighting is first you have to build the infrastructure to allow the light into the space and the second is that um, you still need to manage the heat much like you need to manage the heat from a uh, an electric light source you still have to manage the heat from uh, um, from daylighting what daylighting I think provides that I think is is different to electric lighting is the idea that it can be changeable that that what is happening externally is being somewhat replicated internally so you have that changeable uh, aspect and also one of the things one of the the joys of daylighting is that you also get view you have connection to the outside or connection to the natural environment electric lighting for all its sophistication is essentially um, very precise very you know very exact if you do it well but it it there is a certain staticness to that light it's it's almost like with alto's work the architecture becomes a kind of luminaire it becomes a sort of not dissimilar to the ph5 or the ph series light sources the clerestries kind of and the way that he uses these white curvilinear uh, sculptural surfaces are reminiscent of a of a luminaire do you think this would have happened if the electric light source hadn't have been developed no i think that they're they're actually there's a kind of a, a curious relationship between the two i don't think that i don't think he he it's like they tested it on a small scale with the luminaire yes and then they just basically made it a lot yes. larger and used the sun to do it in similar well way. let's think about that for a moment if you think about a, a luminaire you have a light source generally in the middle of that luminaire not always but generally in the middle a of a very that small luminaire. sun and essentially you're trying to manage the glare of that light in the way in which the luminaire is designed i mean essentially that's what every luminaire is trying to do mm. if you think about um, a building as a giant lampshade shall we say light shade luminaire essentially the source of light is remote you know some 93 million kilometers away or miles away and you're managing the light source through the building so what alto i think does is he kind of creates a zone this upper zone which enables him to manage that light source that external light source much better than your average architect shall we say he seems to actually bring architecture he seems to bring the design of the luminaire upper scale to the building scale to the urban scale mm-hmm. and it's interesting when you look at his earlier libraries and buildings they they do have this consistent homogeneous glow but then as he his work sort of progresses and matures then he starts to steer away from having this this homogeneity within the space and actually placing light of the similar similar sources but throughout the space so you get 
these different effects throughout the space. And it's the same with his Luminaire design. Instead of just being a, a um, symmetrical distribution, he starts to cut holes in the side of his Luminaires, which throw light directly onto the wall, but then also down. So he starts to play with, well, maybe it's his, maybe it's back connecting back to nature and that nature doesn't always have this homogenous glow. You know, when you're walking through a dappled environment, there's different light qualities within Mm. that. You can sort of see this, that he starts to create this within his spaces as well through the Luminaire design. I mean, can we say that the the architecture is just a giant Luminaire? (laughs) I think it's actually, yeah, I, I think that's, true i haven't i didn't think of that but yeah <laughs> well <laughs> it's, I just, it's just scale really isn't it it's going from the scale of like what we know as a luminaire being a single light source well i i, I sort whole... of think i don't think they're disconnected i think the idea that the luminaire takes a step up through the architecture but there's more to it i suppose than just you know scaling up i think he seems to have in his work a very strong connection to nature I think that's what makes him so appealing as an architect, whereas many modernist architects, and I sort of come back to this point, whereas many modernist architects were really interested in the industrialization of buildings, the idea of repetition, the idea of, you know, mechanization. What Alto has, what Alto does in his libraries specifically, which are secular buildings, they're not, they're not religious buildings, he has systems but he connects it to a sense of what nature is all about. And daylighting plays a really important part of that. Mm. I have an image here, which I'm trying to, I'm, I'm going to try and describe. Um, it's, 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 it looks like a, a hospital room. So it has two sort of beds. There's, there's a little lamp on either side of the beds themselves that sort of provide a good light for reading. And then directly above the two beds in the middle, there's sort of a wall-mounted um, spherical luminaire that pr- pushes most of its light upwards. And then on the ceiling, he's, he's got um, a half, half a circle, a semicircle, in white paint. And then the rest of the room is painted in a darker color. So, he, so because this wall-mounted light pushes most of its light into the ceiling, he's just painted one white spot there, which basically is used to indirectly push light back down into the space and create an ambient luminescence. But the rest of the space has a dark ceiling. And it's like, okay, it's really interesting that he's, the materiality he's actually using within the space and illuminate itself and combine them both to create. So yeah, it's, it's, it's extending from the idea that we just talked about that the whole thing was a luminaire. Not just the luminaire itself onto the wall, they, they but the ceiling of, itself. The, as well. They resemble light sources. They resemble luminaires. I mean, the 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 regional library of Lapland is um, is a good example of that. He seems to have this very strong base externally. Then he has these clerestory lights that that emerge from the building, that that are essentially the light source for the interior of the building. I notice with a lot of his works, you know it. The light is always coming from above. You know, there are windows, of course, here and there, obviously. But with library buildings, you, you see this focus of light coming from above. So he creates this um, internalized landscape, different levels, books, timber. Um, but he's always playing with the light coming from above. So it's, it's, he's creating this kind of environment that's connected to nature, but different to its environment 
I find that really fascinating. Mm. Interesting. Um, so the other, so there's there's these two characteristics that I think this this sort of linear light source externally, and then there are these conical um, skylights which which appear throughout his career. You know, I have to say it's a it's a, it's a it's a go-to skylight that he uses. Um, but later in his life, there's a building that I particularly like, and I'm just going to find its name. But it's the it's actually an academic bookstore, which is in Helsinki in in Finland, where you actually see the emergence of a of a, a slightly different idea, which is that it still has the skylight above, but in this instance, it's not circular. It actually takes on a sort of prismatic form. It's almost like a like a, a sort of stalactite sort of creation where the skylight actually almost feels like it's well feel doesn't feel like it actually is sort of descending into the main space like it's it's kind of a bit um it's a bit more dramatic shall we say so it projects it's, down into projects it. down into the mm-hmm. space so there's a skylight at roof level and then there's a dif- shall we say a diffuser of some sort at that lower level so it's almost like the light is pushing down into the main space um, into this very sort of rectilinear very prismatic sort of space so there's always these references to um, a kind of connection to nature uh, in in different ways and always with this treating the sort of luminaire design and the skylight in in very similar ways is what i find 